So this is our brand new episode of the Ukrainian CEO podcast show. And today I'm honored to introduce my new guest, Ryan Henley. Hello, Ryan, and uh, nice to meet you. And uh, thanks for coming for our new episode. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here and uh, it's great to meet you and looking forward to a conversation. Cool, Ryan, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I uh, I am the CEO of an independent insurance agency. So um, for your non-US uh, listeners, um, when someone buys insurance, they have a, a bunch of different options um, in, in the United States, and particularly when they own a business. So what I do is provide commercial insurance solutions to business owners, and we do it throughout the entire United States, so even Alaska and Hawaii, um, and we have 23 people nationwide. And I've been in the insurance industry for 17 years. Um, how I got here is uh, 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 an interesting story. I will try to take uh, what could be probably hours of conversation and break them down in just a few minutes, not to bore your audience. But basically, I've been in the insurance industry for 17 years. The first eight of those years, I was uh, a boots on the ground salesperson. I was walking to business to business. I was um, cold calling people. I was cold emailing people. It was... Uh, really like a grind. It was every day, you're just kind of grinding it out. Um, you don't see really a lot of big wins. And uh, I learned the traditional way of doing business, which is which, which again, in the United States is really based most insurance uh, uh, agencies really just work maybe 15-20 miles from wherever they're located. And their value proposition is local community, that kind of stuff. And that's great except uh, it's very difficult to scale that model. You're really limited by whatever community your your business is located around. Um, if you're in a big city, you can obviously grow much bigger than you can, say, if you're in the country and you just have less people, less businesses to sell to. So what we did, are, uh, I was there for eight years. Um, I wasn't a family member of that business. So basically, uh, the owners of that of that business came to me one day and basically said, "So you know, uh, you will never own this business. You'll never have a, a shot at at earning in or buying into equity in the business." And at thirty or thirty one, whatever I was at that time, that was a completely unacceptable answer. I had I put in a lot of good time, and not that I was like looking for any handouts, but I, you know, if you're ambitious and you're hardworking, like you want to know that there's more for you if you achieve certain goals. I, I certainly didn't want anything handed to me, but I wanted to know there was an opportunity for more. And when I found out there wasn't, um, I, I put my, I put my, uh, I, I resigned within the next two months, and I took the job as a, a CMO, a chief marketing officer for a national insurance technology company. And I did that for four years. It was a wonderful experience. Um, uh, accumulated uh, a, a team underneath me of about 30 people. Really learned to be an entrepreneur. Learned what it means to be an executive. Learned about high-level business development. Um, unfortunately, I ended up uh, I ended up being fired from that job because it, uh, for a few different reasons. But the long and short of it was it was a big bureaucratic business. It was very kind of corporate-driven. Um, and I was... I, like I said, I had an entrepreneurial mindset and I was constantly butting heads with them. I constantly wanted to do more. I constantly wanted to try things that they just didn't want to try. And uh, that relationship just kind of hit and hit ahead. I then uh, went and became CMO of another insurance technology company, which was great. Um, that one didn't really, that wasn't really a good fit from the beginning. I worked there for about a year and uh, decided that with two little kids at home, 
I couldn't travel anymore for work. I was traveling all over the United States. Uh, I'd been in about 40 different states at this point, And uh, it was taking a lot of time away from my family. I promise I'll get to the point here. So I, um, I left that job. I kind of had worn my, my wife out at the time. Um, I'd worn her out. I was traveling three, four times a week. Um, I had a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and it just wasn't working. So I took a job as the uh, CEO of a local fitness franchise because after insurance, probably the next thing I'm the most interested in is fitness. I love physical fitness, and um, we could talk about how your health and physical fitness impacts your ability to be a great leader and a great entrepreneur. But um, And I thought this was the best, the next best thing. I didn't want to leave the insurance industry, but... Uh, you know, if I couldn't be in the insurance industry and, and Albany, New York, the capital of New York State uh, uh, here in the U.S. Um, is not a big city, even though it's the capital of New York State. It, you know, most people think New York City, 8 million people. Albany has like, it's like 100,000 people. Like there's just not that many people, you know, here in Albany. So there wasn't really a big insurance scene for me to come back to. Uh, so I took this fitness job and that was great. Uh, and what in nine months, I doubled the size of the membership. Um, I had a great team working. We were growing. We were adding new locations. I, I really thought like, okay, if I'm not going to be in insurance, this is wonderful. Uh, at that point, the founder of the business decided that he wanted to come back in. And, and as a CEO, I was his biggest expense. So he fired me. Just one day, I, I just blindsided. I walked in. I thought we were just having a standard meeting. He come, walks in with his lawyer and fires me and just says, hey, you did a great job, but I want to be the CEO again. And if I'm the CEO, you can't be here. And out the door I went. And and that, you know, having kind of four negative experiences right in a row in about a five or six year period, just, it, it was like, you know, I just kind of, it felt like the universe was telling me, you need to go out and be your own boss. Like you obviously working for someone else is, is not, is not, it's not working out too well. Um, and that's when I kind of decided I was going to do my own thing. I wanted to go back to the insurance industry and I started my commercial insurance agency, Rogue Risk, on March 9th of 2020. Great journey. Can you please uh, tell us uh, your strategy from the day one you launched Rogue Risk and uh, until the acquisition of the company? Uh, how did you yeah. find uh, how did you find the product market fit, uh, first customer? Can you please elaborate on that? Yes. So, um, so I got into when I when I first was starting to kind of map out Rogue. So I got fired from uh, the company's uh, the fitness company. Uh, that was in October, and I didn't launch Rogue till March. So it took me about five months to get everything together. And during that time, you're doing what any entrepreneur does, right? You're you're kind of mapping out ideas. You're putting core concepts down, core values. You're you're, you're mapping out your business. You're putting a business plan together. And the first thing that I wrote down was this idea of a human optimized agency. What I mean by that is there's, there's really two sides to the insurance industry and really two sides to just about any industry. There's the traditional side, hand-to-hand -hand combat. Everything is done face-to-face, -face, in person, very local driven, very traditional uh, mindset, a lot of paper, a lot of things done offline. Um, and, and the beauty of that side of, of any business is that it is an incredible way to build trust and a connection to your clients, right? There's, there's nothing better than breathing the same air to get a client to buy into what you're doing. However, it is very difficult to scale a business of that size. And it's very difficult with a business such as that to, uh, in, on the traditional side, to compete with, say, uh, a larger budget, uh, maybe franchise style, uh, you know, uh, 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 a well-funded competitor. It, it can be tough to compete. So what I did is I said, 
I want to take the best aspects of the traditional way that this business is done. And this works for any industry, not just insurance. And I want to take the best versions or the best aspects of the digital version of insurance. And I want to marry them together. And basically what I realized is that the humans in our business were doing a lot of tasks that didn't add value, but were taking up their time. So I launched a fully remote agency, even though we're headquartered here in Albany, New York, I have 23 people spread throughout the entire United States. Um, you know, in all four time zones, there's four time zones in the U S and we're spread throughout all of them. And, and, uh, except for the Northwest, like Washington state, Oregon, and all the quadrants and sections. So we have people in the Midwest and upper Midwest, Southeast, et cetera. So, uh, that gives us really good spread, really good team. And what it allows us to do is not have a fixed cost of having a, a heavy burden of saying like having an office space. It allows us to, to really play off economies of scale because we're just, you know, really when we add a new team member, it's just a few memberships to websites and tools that they need to do their job. So it keeps costs low. Uh, and then we use automation, self-service tools. Um, we are getting very close to looking into virtual assistants. Um, and then we have our, our licensed kind of in the States uh, um, uh, American workers which is required because insurance is a regulated product. It's like a financial service, like uh, if you're doing investments or something. So you you, you need to have licensed American, uh, you know, people who are sitting here in the States do some tasks. It's just regulated by the States. So um, by using this scaled system, we are able to allow our customers to kind of choose their own adventure. And to get to your question, that was really our competitive advantage from day one. We wanted to deliver that enterprise level white gloves in-person service that people want out of a relationship with their insurance professional. But we wanted to do that in a scaled digital format. And that has been our bread and butter from day one, um, coupled with a really solid education first content marketing campaign. We have one of the largest YouTube channels uh, for all uh, in, for, for, for in the insurance industry. Uh, we have a very robust website. We put a lot of educational content out in social media. Uh, we do a lot of outreach and it's all based around educate our, our customers first, draw them in and then give them this human optimized experience. So once they're in, they feel taken care of, they feel understood and they feel heard. Cool. Um, can you please share with us tools, software use for uh, self-service and uh, to establish automation in your business processes? Yeah. So a lot of the tools that we use are very specific to the U.S. insurance market. You know, being that uh, insurance is a regulated is a regulated industry, um, there's just a lot of wacky things, data you have to collect. And, and sure, some some insurance agencies do hack their way through, say, a HubSpot or a Salesforce or a PipeDrive or some of these other kind of CRM or sales tools. But at the end of the day, the accounting in the insurance industry is very unique. It's actually, uh, you have to run a dual cash and accrual accounting system at the same time, which is tricky. Um, there's, there's, there's just a lot of odd things. So, so we have some proprietary, not proprietary to us, but proprietary to the industry technology that we use that probably no one listening would even heard of. But then you know, we, do, we use uh, Ring Central for our phone system. Um, so that's kind of a, a global system. Uh, we, use, uh, we have tested on and off Podium. Uh, which is a text message, uh, a chat to text tool, allows you to um, do some stuff with reviews. Um, but to be honest with you, we try to keep our tech tool set as simple as we possibly can, because um, what I found is a lot of companies in an effort to add value, keep stacking on new tools, new tools, new tools that they never actually fully utilize and therefore never actually deliver the full value to their customer base. 
So my philosophy has been use a smaller number of tools, but use them really well. And even if there's some things that you're not doing today that like you would like to say, I don't know, some sort of local pin drop text system or uh, automated review, uh, accum- you know, uh, um, uh, aggregation system or whatever. There's a lot of like amazing tech that you can use. Um, we, instead of like just trying to implement all these different things and never really doing it well, we've tried to focus in on the things that that drive the most value for us, kind of the 80-20 rule, and, uh, and do those things well. So our tech stack relative to say a standard, say SaaS or e-commerce business is probably relatively small. Okay, I understand. And uh, um, also, I noticed a video on your YouTube channel where you said you have your own SaaS uh, platform, RockX. Um, did you tr- have you ever tried to uh, develop your own software for your needs, or to start selling to other agents, or you just yeah. SaaS of the shelf software? Yeah, no, that, that's a really good question. So we have built uh, the proprietary software that we've built is really like a custom Zapier, um, which has allowed us to kind of manage our data flow between off the shelf systems. So again, um, I don't want to build software just to build software. I think that it, if there, there are my business is not to be a tech business, it's to be it's to you know, massively grow our insurance book, we are an insurance agency. So where I can use off the shelf tech, customize it to our needs. And then what I was, was kind of our first play to keep costs down because the cost of building your own tech is, is, is very large. And people don't, I think a lot of times founders want to get to building their own tech very fast and um, they, they, they spend time and effort building things that they don't need right now. If your goal is to be a tech company, you got to build tech. But if your goal is to be a scaled insurance agency, building tech is actually an anchor Um, not a sale. And for that reason, uh, we've tried to use off the shelf. What we did find was that all the off the shelf shelf tech that we needed or wanted to use didn't talk to each other very well. So the one thing that we have built is, and and this is in partnership with a development company. So we didn't, we don't have internal engineers, but they helped us build this custom it, you know, it's not, it's, it's like a basically think of Zapier, but custom to our business. So we can plug things in one time, but push the data in and out of these systems to all our other systems as needed. And that has been a, a, a huge boon to our business. Are you still using it or uh, was it a successful project? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very okay. successful. And uh, we continue, you know, as we, as it, what it has allowed us to do is now take on more systems because there's not as much kind of legwork of retyping information in or having to do exports and imports and all this kind of stuff. It's the data is just talking to each other and uh, it has allowed our people to work faster and, uh, and deliver more value back to our customers. Okay. Um, what are the biggest challenges you see establishing automation using all these tools you have already mentioned uh, the communication between all these systems. That's why you developed your own software. What other challenges do you see? What are the, the, the hardest to tackle? Yeah, the, the biggest challenge that we face from a technology standpoint is that the insurance industry in general is very behind. So these tools that are, you know, standard tools in the insurance industry, um, they just, 
their their the data is set up poorly. They're often using multiple databases, multiple code bases. They don't load properly. They don't update properly. Um, their APIs are often terrible, break often, or just can't push all the necessary data back and forth. They're just very archaic. If you're sitting there listening to this and you're used to using like a Salesforce or a HubSpot or or any other of these large CRM database systems that you kind of run businesses off of, they this you 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 most likely can't even imagine how archaic the insurance systems are. But because of the wacky nature of the accounting inside the insurance industry and the way uh, policy data has to be collected and stored, we're forced to use these. So from a technology standpoint, the biggest challenge are these legacy systems that we're forced to use and getting information in and out of them. Um, you know, other than that, uh, from a technology standpoint, you know, uh, there's, there's not really obstacles. It's just the standard stuff that everyone deals with. It's, you know, what, what is going, what, what activities do we need to prioritize in order to deliver max value to our customers? And how do we do that in a way where we're not overextending ourselves and creating risk where it's unnecessary. And that to me is the place that I see the most founders, the most, most often see founders start to fall apart is in their race to constantly add new features, new gimmicks, new schemes to their business. They get way out over their skis or, you know, they get, they get, they get uh, uh, overextended in projects or just simply in brain cycles. They're just thinking about too many things. Uh, core functions start to slip through the cracks and then the business starts to struggle. So I think that patience, uh, which is not one of my virtues. I don't want anyone to li listening to think that I'm somehow this like incredibly patient person. I'm not. All I want to do is go, go, go. I'm an entrepreneur like everyone else. Um, but having learned and practiced trying to trying to make patience a practice uh, and thoughtfulness a practice, um, you know, we really try to set reasonable timelines. And we try to be very uh, intentional with any new tools or technology that we bring in. Um, okay, man. So just to just to just to recap. Um, the biggest challenge that we face is that there are proprietary technology systems in the insurance industry that you have to use in order to meet regulatory compliance. And they just do not, they are not 2023 technology. They just don't connect. They don't push data. And that just makes everything a challenge. There are workarounds and, you know, that's why we built that kind of universal connector system, but uh, it's not easy and it's extra work that you have to do. Uh, can you please uh, share with us your strategy on the, uh, content content marketing. I know you have a large YouTube channel, and uh, in one of your of your videos, you you know you said you have uh, the majority of your leads uh, coming from this channel before your uh, acquisition. Uh, yep. Before your company was uh, acquired, uh, I know a lot of fo folks who are making hundreds of videos per year, but get uh, like uh, just a few views and no uh, sales or unqualified leads from this channel. Can you please uh, elaborate on this? What's your yeah. uh, strategy? So we we really employ, uh, there's, there's really two core concepts. So if, if, you're, if you're familiar with Marcus Sheridan and his book, They Ask, You Answer, um, we use that strategy, which is basically we take common questions that people ask about insurance and we just answer them in plain language. I think that what makes our channel work is that it's very authentic. It's most of the time just me standing in front of the camera answering a question. Um, I don't edit it out, uh, you know, within reason. I'm not editing out ums and ahs. I'm not editing it out little contextual sidebars that I may take. 
uh, I try to boil what is a fairly complex product and insurance down into language that people can understand and use. And I don't pound them over the head with sales stuff. I don't, you know, I'm not constantly trying to sell people. Um, it's, hey, if you, you know, I finish every video with a very simple call to action. It, you know, I kind of look at the camera and I say, if this is the kind of relationship that you want with your insurance agent, meaning uh, an agent who's going to explain things to you, who's going to care about you, thinks deeply about coverage, you know, and all that kind of stuff, then we'd love to work with you. And that's it. And then I give them, you know, some places they can go to actually get a quote. I think the mistake a lot of people make is it's they're just constantly selling and it's all either overproduced or it's very impersonal or they read some way to create a hundred videos in a month and get them out. And like all that gimmicky nonsense, it, it doesn't work. Like you actually, you have to actually care about what you're doing. You have to actually care about the people that you're serving and that will come through. People can smell someone who's just trying to create a business and doesn't actually care about their clients. They can smell it. Uh, uh, they can feel it. It's it's tangible. And we all know it. We've all seen it. We've all seen people and they're doing a video and maybe even what they're sharing is interesting or, or informative, but you're looking at it going, eh, it just doesn't feel right. I can tell they don't, they're doing this, but it's a template. Um, there are best practices. There are things obviously that you have to do to be successful. Um, and there are certainly ways to amplify, but at the end of the day, if you're not, if you don't honestly care about the people that you're sharing information with and sharing information to, if you're not actually trying to provide value first before you extract value, you have no shot at being successful. It's just not, it's just not going to happen. So I think, you know, what we get the most in terms of feedback is like, I can tell that you're care and people ask tons of questions and I answer them. I respond to all the comments and you know, I have these like long drawn out conversations with people in the comments on YouTube just about the different questions they have. And I think that people see that, they see the comments and it all just kind of adds up. But if you're, if you're not fully invested, if you don't actually care about the information you're sharing, people will smell it and they'll just move on to the next, the next video. It's, um, we just, we can't over templatize our business. Yeah. I think it also depends on the industry and also the skill to find what topics your audience is uh, searching for because uh, I think that many of those who is not successful on YouTube they just uh, do content that they think is reasonable without any prior research yeah I mean so I use a tool called Arefs, uh, dot com, yeah. and I do a shit ton of keyword research. I mean, we're constantly, I'm constantly trying to figure out, you know, so I'll, I'll say, okay, one of our specialties, there's an insurance coverage. Um, again, in the, I'm speaking specifically about the U S market. Um, there's a, there's an insurance coverage called workers compensation. And basically it deals with, uh, employees who get injured. Okay. That, that part doesn't matter, but we, we, that coverage in particular is something that we have an expertise in, in our, in our, uh, in our business. So I could just, randomly come up with workers' compensation topics and post videos about them. Or I could go to AREFs and do some some dig down into what are the actual questions? How are they phrasing them? You know, where where are the opportunities? Who's ranking really high for what keywords, what ideas, what concepts, and how can we find gaps in between those topics? Can we go with something that's maybe a little more long tail and and say, create three different videos on a topic that have long tail keywords versus trying to wedge our way in and the top level keyword. There's all different kinds of content strategies and we can nerd out on that if you want. So I completely agree with you. Um, just flying by the seat of your pants uh, is, is not the right way to go. Um, you just don't want to over-engineer it. Again, 
if I didn't care about delivering value through my insurance product, um, then all the keyword research in the world, it still wouldn't hit. However, because I want to share, because I want to help people, I want to give them these tools, then when I go and I dissect and I come up with five headlines that are going to allow me to, 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 to rank fairly quickly and fairly high for long, I particularly like long tail keywords um, at first, um, you get less traffic, but you get more targeted traffic. Um, and so, so just if, if we want to nerd out on this for a second, there's, you know, thinking simply about how we look at keywords and how we approach these things. So um, let's say I was to take the top level uh, uh, keyword, um, uh, we'll get away from insurance because it's so nerdy. We'll think about something like a t-shirt company. Let's say you had a t-shirt company and you're doing a YouTube channel about it, right? And your, your t-shirt company was, you know, uh, you come up with some que- uh, quirky brand and people can do print on demand and it's got all you know, uh, uh, famous characters from, from both, you know, foreign and domestic, uh, TV shows and, you know, whatever, um, pop culture in your particular country or area or, or, or whatever audience you're trying to serve. Right. So, uh, and, and you want to, uh, let's say it's motivational t-shirts. Let's say that's your, that's your jam. It's, it's motivational t-shirts. So you, you, you could rank for motivational t-shirts. You could go after that keyword, but every keyword, every t-shirt company, uh, in the world is going to try to rank for say motivational t-shirts, right? Um, cause that's a big top level keyword, but the interesting part about it is people who are actually searching for the term motivational keyword, uh, t-shirts are oftentimes going to be at the very beginning of their purchasing journey. So that's a top level keyword. Yes. It's important to rank for brand recognition over time, but if you're just starting out going after that keyword, you're not, you're going to hit the first page. YouTube is not going to suggest you. Google is not going to suggest you because there's a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 other companies trying to rank for that same keyword. So instead what we did was we went long tail right away. So maybe it's, uh, 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 you know, whatever, maybe your, your title is, um, 10 motivational t-shirts that when you see yourself in the morning, uh, in the mirror, get you jacked out of your mind, right? Maybe that's the title of your video. And then you're showing these, you know, maybe, maybe you're flashing a picture of whoever said the quote next to your t-shirt in like a 360 spin view with some like inspirational music. And that's your video, right? Like that's a tremendous promo video. And people are looking at the shirts going, oh shit, I love that quote. Or, hey, I read that book. That's amazing. Or man, my team would, it would be really cool if we went on our retreat as a team, you know, in our company and had those shirts on because everyone would be jacked up. And like, that's a long tail way of going after something, you know, or then, or maybe you do, um, maybe you break down what the meaning behind that quote is and what different people have thought about that quote. So maybe literally the title of the video is um, the, the, the quote and the word um, motivational t-shirt. And then you're, you're, you're doing like a three minute video on the quote itself about the quote. And you don't even show your t-shirt until the very end and say, Hey, if this gets you jacked out of your mind, buy the t-shirt and wear it tomorrow, you know, click our link or whatever. So like going after these long tail bottom of the funnel keywords where people are like, if someone's searching for a specific quote in the word t-shirt, they're looking to buy, right? They want that quote on a t-shirt and that would be much easier to rank for than say just the top level motivational t-shirts. So that very long technical, hopefully not boring explanation is how we were able to get traction very, very quickly is we did not waste time going after top level keywords. We just created a massive amount of content on all these long tail keywords. And what they did was just stack up 
stack up views over over time. That's smart. And uh, you also spend time to put all these keywords in your uh, YouTube video description, or you just uh, create a video on this topic and uh, yeah. So what we'll do is we'll use a tool like Rev, R-E-V.com, which is another SaaS tool, plug the YouTube video in, get the transcript, and then copy and paste the transcript into the description or a portion of the transcript in the description, depending on how long it is. Um, we've tested all kinds of stuff like that. I think the descriptions are important. I think timestamps and chapters are really important these days on YouTube. They can definitely help boost, uh, especially like in that in that description I gave where you had the 10 the 10 different t-shirts, like the 10 best motivational t-shirts or whatever. Um, if each t-shirt was a chapter, that would be a, that, that would help that video rank because they're basically using it as subheads. They're using the chapters as subheads to, to rank videos. So there's a lot of like, you can get very nerdy on the tactics and stuff, but I think the big idea is, is find long tail keywords, which oftentimes equate to bottom of the funnel, ready to purchase moments and go after those first and just batch record a shit ton of them and you will, um, you'll see, you're not going to see any, you probably won't see one particular video get a ton of traffic, but what you'll see is the people who are going to that video are highly likely to purchase. And, um, that's obviously in my opinion, much more important than just the vanity metric of pure views. Can you please, uh, tell us more about the acquisition of your company? Why did you decide to sell the company and what are your main takeaways after the first year of being in partnership with uh, the company that's uh, that uh, acquired you yeah so we launched on march 9th of 2020 seven days before covid hit uh, new york state uh, so seven days in i got you know close to fifty thousand dollars of my own money um into into this business and uh, all of a sudden the entire world gets shut down and i start freaking out and um it was very very difficult our initial plan was to be a digital middle market agency. So think larger kind of not enterprise level businesses and not small businesses, but that middle, that middle area, think uh, 10 to a hundred million in revenue. That was originally what we were going to go after. Well, all those businesses are shut down and none of them were picking up the phone. So I had to really course correct very early, small businesses, you know, kind of mom and pops, you know, say 5 million in under revenue, most of which are probably 750 to a 500,000 in revenue or under businesses. They had to stay open because this is their only income. Like they didn't have a war chest. I mean, they had to, they had to do what they had to do to survive. So those people were still out there. So I quickly pivoted from middle market to small business. And, and we went into YouTube because no one could meet in person because COVID had everything shut down. So that digital strategy is, is, is really what COVID really drove the uh, velocity of that digital strategy. Okay. So we started building, um, we rapidly expanded nationally because doing the digital marketing allowed us to do that. It allows us to scale very quick. We were having some success. And what I basically realized is if I, if I kept out on my own, it would probably take me eight to 10 years to hit where I wanted to be. Um, and I was unwilling to wait that long. So I did a 57, I did 57 venture capital meetings and went, oh, zero for 57. Not one of the venture capital meetings wanted to invest in us, mostly because we weren't building proprietary tech at the time. And uh, all VC cares about is proprietary tech for the most part. So even though I was looking at like a 10x return, they weren't interested because they wanted like a thousand X return, which is, I think, a, I think a, a reason why so many of the venture cap, venture backed businesses that you see fail is they just, 
take these moonshot swings at businesses that I don't think actually have a legit chance of being successful. So I had to find another way to get funded. And I did not plan on selling my business 100% or being acquired. I plan on just taking it, taking investment. But when this op- when the company that ended up purchasing us, the it's a P-backed insurance roll-up, um, when they approached us, there was a, there was a really, um, there was a striking fit. It was, it, it was, it was unexpected, but there was this really natural fit in the way that, that rogue rogue risk, my business fit into this broader kind of, uh, uh, roll up entity and the role we were playing, the role I would play in both continuing in rogue and, uh, being on the executive leadership team of the parent company as well. Um, that kind of. That, that was very attractive. It allowed us to hit our goals much earlier. There was still a tremendous amount of upside for me. It allowed me to get out from under having to make payroll every every week or every other week, which is very difficult. All entrepreneurs are probably aware of that. Um, and it just, it gave us the ability to get to where we wanted to be in say three to five years versus eight to 10. And, uh, and I like the people a lot. And it is just, it was, uh, it just, the decision made sense. It wasn't what I was expecting, but it made sense. And I'm happy I've done it. Uh, we've gotten to move very fast. Um, when we were acquired, we were at seven people, and a year later, we're at twenty-three. A year later, you know, a year from now, we may even double our employee base again. So um, it's it's a super exciting time, and uh, I'm very happy that I made that decision. While, like I said, it was unexpected. So you said uh, this acquisition will help you to achieve your goals much faster. Uh, can you please tell us what what are your business dream? And uh, what are your plans for the next five years? Uh, where are you heading? Why? What is that big goal you are going for? Yeah. So I, um, we want to get to a hundred million in premium. That's a fairly large number. Um, we're at about five million right now, and our goal is in five years to be at a hundred. Um, that would be a very large jump. It would be one of the largest and fastest. Um, premium accumulations in the history of the industry uh, without doing massive M&A because I want to do it organically. And um, uh, that would kind of put us on the map on another level. Um, what I want to do, you know, because I look at Rogue as like a project for the most part. Um, you know, not that I ever don't want to work here, but I will every, you know, I basically have a three-year contract. And when that contract is up, I'll reevaluate where are we, what's going on, you know, how, how is this working? And, you know, I'll, continue, I'll make the decision to stay on or not um, based on, you know, kind of the contract negotiations. That being said, where I ultimately want to be and where my, where my heart is, is I love helping startups. I love helping entrepreneurs. Um, I do a decent amount of angel investment and seed round investment as a, as a kind of seed advisor round. I'll, I'll participate in seed rounds, um, uh, not as like a major funder, but as more of a, 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 an advisory board member. Um, so I, I love being part of these organizations. I love helping them understand how to sidestep some of the pitfalls. I love learning about different businesses, different markets, and, um, it's, uh, uh, helping people achieve their entrepreneurial goals is, is just, it's, it's drives a lot of personal, um, satisfaction. I love seeing the face of an entrepreneur when they pick up a topic or they, they, they integrate a process. And all of a sudden, doors start to open. You know, uh, the cash register starts to ring. Um, it's a pretty incredible feeling, and there's so much op- on, uh, opportunity for entrepreneurs out there um, that 
it's it's really what I love to do. So uh, my goal is to take Rogue, uh, hit our goals, be, make it a success, uh, make good on the promises that I made when we were acquired, um, and then leverage that uh, to some extent into helping more entrepreneurs be successful um, using my own experience uh, as uh, as a, a roadmap. Yeah, this is ambitious goal, and uh, I wish you good luck and uh, to achieve that. And uh, yeah, I believe you can do this. Okay, Ryan, uh, thank you ah, for coming thank you. to this to this podcast and uh, sharing all your knowledge yes. for YouTube marketing, for the insurance industry and technology. And uh, uh, also, as every podcast, I want to invite you to come to Ukraine uh, after our uh, victory. So uh, we will uh, yes. uh, we will uh, go for lunch with all of our listeners and they will tell you how they managed to uh, go through it, applying your tips. There are some entrepreneurs from insurance industry yeah. in Ukraine. I think they will listen to this podcast and uh, maybe some of them will launch their own YouTube channels and try your strategies in Ukraine. So thank you for all of your knowledge and uh, thank yeah. you. My, my pleasure, man. I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I think it's amazing what you're doing. I think it's great that you're, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're interviewing people from inside Ukraine as well as out. I think the fact that you're bringing people from pro probably what is all over the world, uh, bringing their, their expertise in, I think is incredible. And I give you a ton of credit for that. Um, if people are interested in connecting or have questions about what I shared, they can reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. Just, you know, find me Ryan Hanley on LinkedIn. And um, I also have a, uh, a a blog that I write that is really about the kind of um, uh, it's it's not it's it's leadership and entrepreneurial focused, but not necessarily on the tactics, but on the uh, emotional, relational, and psychological side. Um, a lot of the stuff that that oftentimes is not discussed um, that can be hangups uh, in your entrepreneurial and startup uh, leadership journey. So uh, that's at Finding Peak. So if you go to Finding F I N D I N G P E A K dot com, uh, you can go there. Uh, it's a Substack and subscribe for free. And uh, just appreciate you, man. Wish you nothing but the best, and uh, uh, look forward to um, connecting again in the future.